And so um, Exodus, 20, Exodus 25 and 8, you should be there. Um, and it reads, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And so in the Old Testament, God establishes um, his tabernacle or had a tabernacle for his people. In the New Testament, God has a people for his tabernacle. And so that's what we're looking at. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, um, it takes this idea a little bit further. And it says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? And when Mo, um, God gave Moses these building plans to construct this, his goal was for, to, for him to dwell among us. And when we think about that concept, it seems really simple, but how many of you know that there are people a lot in this room that go every single day without allowing God to dwell among them? And we're not talking about omnipresence that he's, you know, everywhere all the time. We are talking about his manifested presence that you can be aware of and gain the benefits of his presence. Just because he is omnipresent does not mean that you are gaining the benefits of his presence. You have to be aware of it. And so this one physical place that was built by God's instruction was there for worship. It was there for blessing and it was there for atonement. And so if you ever find that you are without any of those things, you are living beneath your access and benefits of the presence of the Lord. It was there for worship. It was there for blessing and it was there for atonement. And so if you ever feel like you're in that place where um, you're questioning God's worth or his worthiness or you're questioning um his worth or value in your life, you're questioning what he thinks of you, then you are without worship. Because I'm not talking about you're without a song to sing. I'm talking about you are without the revelation and knowledge of how worthy and valuable he is. Because once you know how worthy and valuable he is, you don't question his faithfulness toward you and you do not question your status with him. And when you do, you know that you are without worship. You know that you are without blessing when you feel that you have been slighted or cheated out of something that belongs to you. And the difference is that you're not going to get everything and everything's not going to always go your way. But the difference is when you are with blessing, you count it all a blessing. And so when you are really living with the revelation of blessing, every single thing you are able to see through the lens of what God is doing for you and know that he is not against you. And so that's how you live in blessing. The last one is atonement. And atonement has to do with the forgiveness of your sins. And so when you live with guilt 
When you live with shame, when you live with regret, when you live in hiding, even when you live in fear of sin, you are living without atonement. And so all three of those things are the benefits of being in his presence and the very reason why the tabernacle was even established because worship, blessing, and atonement should be your daily portion. You should never be living without those three things. This is tabernacle living. What the tabernacle did was it gave a physical daily reminder of the presence of the Lord. And I want you to ask yourself, what is my daily reminder of the presence of the Lord? Do I ignore that reminder? Am I aware of that reminder? Go ahead and ask yourself. Some of y'all are still looking like I'm going to answer it. I'm not going to answer it. I'm saying ask yourself. Okay, so look introspective now. So at least look like you don't like you're thinking or something like that. Like cock your head to the side or do something weird with your eyes. (laughs) And the question you're asking yourself is, what is my daily reminder of the presence of the Lord? Do you recognize it? Do you engage it? Or do you kind of just go about your day? For some Christians, there is a weekly or bi-weekly reminder of the presence of the Lord. And it's going to church or going to prayer. And other than that, there, there is no presence of the Lord. This is why people say, whew, I just can't wait to get in the presence of the Lord. Well, Amen. I'm I'm happy that you look forward to Sundays and I'm happy that you look forward to Wednesdays. But unfortunately, you're living beneath your means. You have the right to wake up and go to sleep every single day in the presence of the Lord. You can look forward to something else on Sundays and Wednesdays. Look forward to being corporate. Look forward to building each other up. Look forward to the band. Look, that's not bad. But if the presence of the Lord is the thing you look forward to the most, you are living life in lack. Because it's owed to you. That never was um, what he wanted to do, especially after he went from having the physical tabernacle to then making us the tabernacle. What he was trying to do was make it more convenient for you to live in his presence. He knew how long it took or how far and in between it could be for people to go and actually visit the tabernacle. And so he said, this is a gift that I actually am going to allow you to live with every single day. No 24 hours should pass where you cannot track or mark very specifically the presence of the Lord being active and living with you. Amen? Amen. So the tabernacle has been given as a picture of who we are in Jesus Christ. And so the way that the tabernacle, um, the way the tabernacle was designed was it was designed in three sections. 
And so when you look at the tabernacle, it has this, these three like major parts or major sections. And then within each of the major parts or sections, there are other items in that part or that section of the tabernacle. And so when we look at this, um, the power of the number of three, and it appears, of course, several times in the Bible, right? Because we have the triune God. We have this three-part um, uh, mind, body, soul that we have as a body. And then we have these three parts of the actual um, of the temple or the tabernacle. And so when you look at the temple or tabernacle, there are these three different parts and there's distinct sections of it. And so we look at this tabernacle and what we start with is the outer court. Okay, and so we have the outer court here, and this is where you're looking at like the um, the the entrance curtain. You're looking out out here at the outer court, and in that outer court, not too many things in the outer court, but in the outer court, you have an altar. Okay. It's not the only altar. I'll tell you about the second altar. But this altar right here, um, this altar was for burning sacrifice. Okay, so this one was a sacrificial um, altar. And this is where the atonement comes in. Because remember I said it was for worship, for blessing, and atonement. So this is where atonement comes in because they had to offer up a sacrifice. Well, what does that mean for you? Please, by all means, do not grab your neighbor's cat, okay? Don't get the cat. Don't, don't get the kitty, all right? But that sacrifice comes from what you bring into the presence of the Lord. And so this is why when we worship, when we get in his presence, not just here, remember this is every day. It should cost you something. So if it didn't cost you, you didn't sacrifice. So the running joke is when I come to all nations, I wear a Fitbit. This is what people are saying. I'm just saying this is what people are saying out there. (laughs) And, you know, or, you know, they say that we have aerobic worship, different things like that. It should cost you something. If it's never costed you an eyelash, it's never costed you a sore arm, it's never costed you the heel of a shoe, it's never costed you time, it's never costed you the shifting of your wig. You know what I mean? You're not really sacrificing. And this is why when people are leading worship, they say things like, you know, press beyond what you feel because that's a sacrifice. We are so used to being comfortable. The house of the Lord is not comfort in. And remember, you are the house of the Lord. I'm not talking about just the house, but I'm saying your house of the Lord is not comfort in. So it's not about what makes you comfortable. It's not about what makes you happy. It's not about what you like. It really has nothing to do with that. Why? Because it is a sacrifice. And you only in the outer court. We ain't even really went nowhere. We like, we still right next to the entrance. <laughs> like we ain't really go anywhere. And you're only in the outer court. You know, one thing about the outer court, the outer court could be visited by everyone. Everyone had access to the outer court. So this is like the basic level, reasonable service type stuff. Okay, because you know how like when worship get really high, you know, then we kind of save it for the pastors and leaders in the first two rows. I kid you not. 
I watched a video of our worship experience. And because I'm standing like this, I couldn't see, you know, I can't see behind me. I'm not looking anyway, but um, when you watch back the video, I forget what Sunday it is. I can't even remember what song. All I remember is this visual. I cannot get out of my head. And it's like the first two rows is like, and then you go like a few rows back and in the pockets and it looked like this. I ain't lying. I'm not making this up. You know, but I don't really know because I can't see. But in this outer court, this is where sacrifice happens, and this is accessible to absolutely everyone. And this is why we say everybody's welcome, everybody can worship, everybody can praise, everybody can offer up their sacrifice. So this altar of burnt offering um, addressed the first need of the people, and that was to sacrifice um, in order to recognize that atonement. You're not sacrificing so that you know the Lord can do something for you, everything like that. You're just recognizing that you are with sin, and you are sacrificing, you're recognizing what he's already done for you. So you're not working and jumping and lifting your hands like that to earn it. Okay. So it's, it's already done. It's been paid bill, check paid, everything like that. You're good to go, but your sacrifice is in response to what you know about that. And I'm talking about where we are now, as far as new Testament with us being the people, um, for the tabernacle. And then between the altar and the door of communion, then you have this labor Um, And the labor there had water. And once again, that water was representative of the cleansing of sin. And this is why you don't have to live with that guilt. You don't have to live with that shame. And I'm not saying you don't recognize it. You recognize it just fine. But then you know where to take it. We walk around with dirty dishes like we don't know where to take them. When you are in your house, you use a dish, you dirty the dish, then you know that you take the dirty dish eventually. Some of y'all keep them all kind of places first, but eventually you take the dirty dish to the sink. Why? So it can be cleansed. You don't walk around with a bag of dirty dishes and keep the dishes piling up and feel bad about the dishes and the fact that they dirty and then start thinking about what you ate and looking back at the dish. It's because it just doesn't make sense. But that's what we do with sin. We carry them around like a bag of dirty dishes. Then we keep rethinking what we did, rethinking the meal, think about the sides, think about the meat. We think about all of it when you know where to take it. So take the dish and put it in the sink. Take the sin and give it to the one who's already paid for the sin. That's not even something you have to carry around. So we're talking about tabernacle living. So we're just in the outer court. Then we can get that established. Then you go into the inner court. The inner court is also known as the holy place. Okay. And this was restricted um, for priests or for um, worship, and to offer service on to God. It wasn't a place where you check out services from God. That's not... It's not a checkout counter, okay? It was, it was the incoming. It was where you offered service on to God, okay? Notice in the outer courts, it also was not a checkout counter. And so if you are one who's only looking for what you can get from him, you're all the way out here. You're not in the tabernacle at all. 
Because please don't think that anywhere in here you're going to get the checkout counter. So there, that's where they went to offer service on to God. What can you offer on to him as service on to God? Um, also in that inner room, um, there was a table with bread or the table with showbread, which represents fellowship with God. This means that he's not far away from you. This means he actually wants to talk to you. So, you know, like when we be in our head, like, oh, I know God doesn't even want to hear from me and different things like that. Absolutely not. Like, that's not even how he set you up. He set you up because he really wants to talk with you. He really wants to fellowship with you. He really wants to have community with you. And it doesn't really matter how you feel about you. It matters how he feels about you. You can't tell some man that he ain't feeling you. Because when he feeling you, sis, he just feeling you. You know what I mean? And can't nobody tell him, no, nah, you ain't really feeling her. He's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm digging her. Like, for real. I'm interested. And it doesn't matter if the object of his affection is aware of it or not. It doesn't change how he feels at all. The, the object of his affection could be completely oblivious to it. But he still feels the way that he feels about you. But you need the revelation of how he feels about you. And when you accept that he loves your voice, when you accept that he loves to talk to you, that he misses you when you don't spend time with him, like he literally misses you. He's like, dang, where's Britt? She didn't even talk to me today. I miss her. I miss hearing her stories. I miss hearing her song. I miss hearing her declarations of my word and my promises to her. I love that time with them. And he put the table there as a representation that, you know what? I love fellowshipping with you. Then there's a candlestick there with the branches, and that speaks to the testimony of the power of Christ. There's a candlestick there with the branches, and that speaks to the testimony of the power of Christ. What is the testimony of Jesus? That's your story. If you ignore your story, you devalue your story, you refuse to even recognize your story, you are robbing the testimony of Jesus. You don't even have the right to keep your story to yourself. That's not even your testimony. It's the testimony of Jesus. And it exists to set the captives free. Say it loud and spare not. It's his testimony of what he's done for you, what he's done through you, and what he can do through anyone who is willing to acknowledge who he is and the power that he has. People are out there and they don't even know the power of what God can do. 
People wake up every day in hopelessness because you think that your testimony is yours to hide because you've limited your testimony to how embarrassed you'll be, how selfish of you. This has nothing to do with your embarrassment. This has nothing to do with your reputation. Your testimony will save generations and the embarrassment will fall away. People can't even remember stuff that long. Some of your testimony will be talked about a couple months, maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple months. People forget all about it. But if someone gets set free by your testimony, that could save an entire family of people that you'll never even know the name of. You're worried about who knows your name, but there will be people who come into the knowledge of Christ that you will never know their name. And that's the power. That's the power. But we don't recognize the power. We make it about ourselves. Then there's a golden altar of with incense, speaking of acceptable prayer in the name of Christ. So this is where the other altar is. But notice the difference. So the one outside, well, the one in the outer court was for sacrificial offerings. This one was for incense or for sweet-smelling sacrifice. And so this one, and, and the Bible said, I didn't say it because you guys think that all the prayers are acceptable, but I know about the Bible that if it says acceptable prayer, then that means there's unacceptable prayer. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to down your prayers or anything like that. This is what the Bible says. I have a responsibility. I just got to teach what the Bible says. Okay? So don't be mad at me. Be mad. Well, don't be mad at God either, but... Um, but this is the altar for acceptable prayer. Well, because I know we like, you know, I grew up in church, and we used to say things like, whoo, that's just a so-and-so. She can pray. Okay. I, I have a fundamental problem with that statement. Everyone can pray, guys. So just because sister so-and-so moves you in your emotions and you get the chilly willies when she prays, does not mean that the next person cannot pray. We do not get to determine what is acceptable and unacceptable prayer. This is not about your preference. You have a preference and that's fine, but it has nothing to do with acceptable and unacceptable prayer. Acceptable prayers are prayers that are prayed within the parameters of the word. So the difference is that sometimes we pray things that are outside of the parameters of the word. I don't care if somebody gets up here in the voice of a mouse. If they declare the word of the Lord, then they can pray. I used to struggle with this really big. I'm like, I hate when people say that. And it gives other people complexes about praying out loud. I've heard this so many times and people are like, I just am so nervous about praying out loud. It's just, you know, it's just something about praying out loud. We even have people on the intercession team that get like all worked up about like praying out loud and praying with the mic and praying on the stage. And honestly, they need to get over it, but also we need to get over it too. As long as the word is being prayed, we should be able to pray with it. And that's what happens in the holy place is an altar of acceptable prayer. So you have to bring the word in order to even have an acceptable prayer. 
If you don't have the word, you can't even go in the holy place because you are not exhibiting the signs of a priest. This is where the priests went. And this is where the priests went because it was assumed that they were learned people of the word. So because they were learned people of the word, they could offer acceptable prayers. It wasn't just because they were special. Okay, so we're not living in this day, but I'm telling you that's how it was then because it was assumed that they knew the word. So as long as you know the word and are praying the word, you too can offer an acceptable prayer at this altar of incense or at this sweet altar because that incense comes up as a fragrance because what you're doing is you're just giving back to him what he gave to you. And so it's like there's something about a familiar prayer. And he's like, I know those words. I know those declarations. I know those promises. Wait a minute. That's my child. That's my daughter. That's my son. And they're giving back to me what I gave to them. And it is acceptable in my sight. Because it's my word being established and declared one to the other. It's what I'm saying about let it be done in the earth. My kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Like it's not just a prayer that we pray. But he's like, thank you for getting it. I have things that I want to give to you. Thank you for declaring it. Thank you for studying it. Such a sweet savor to me. And then there's the Holy of Holies, who was off limits to absolutely everyone except for the high priest. And of course, we know later in the scripture, um, Jesus Christ is referred to as that high, as that high priest. And he is our high priest. Um, However, in this establishment, there was a a high priest and there was a day each year where he could go into the Holy of Holies and bring in the atonement and bring in the sins and things like that. And so it's um, established that there in that Holy of Holies at the end of um, these three sections that you go there in the Holy of Holies and there is where God dwelt with his Shekinah. And so there with the Shekinah, the glory that happened between the cherubim that covered the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant, there is that sacred sweet place that occurred that was so valuable to them that they never dared take it for common to the point where everyone wasn't even able to go into that space. This is not the day we live in. However, this is the Old Testament establishment, and you have to know what you're patterned after. So even though there's no physical building that's patterned in this way, this is what you are patterned after. So this is how you are made. So how does that relate to us as the tabernacle, now that you're familiar with the physical tabernacle? Well, you still have these three sections. And we still have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So by nature, we have our body, we have our soul, and we have our spirit, okay? This is the difference because all living things have a body, right? A plant has a body. An animal has a body. People have a body, okay? And then you have the soul. Well, animals also have a soul, okay? So animals have a body, and they also have a soul, But then you have people, and because we're made in his image, we had to have all three because we're made in his image. So we had to have all three. So that's why we get the body. 
we get the soul, and we get the spirit. And this is what makes us these unique creatures made in pattern just like our father. When we read in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Um, and I pray God our whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so borrowing from the imagery that we see here with the tabernacle, it could be said that we as Christians are the house that has these same three rooms, the body, the soul, and the spirit. And so God created us to know three different worlds. He created us to know this outer world, this outer body. And so this represents our outer court. This is the body and how we interact with the physical world. So you should be aware of the body. You have to take care of the body and you have to also watch how you interact with the outside physical world. When you borrow from the imagery of the tabernacle, that door or the entry to the tent of meeting had to remain closed. Okay. And so that was the key. You couldn't leave any door open. The door had to remain closed. This is the same thing that goes for our body and how we interact with the physical world. You can't leave any doors open to your body or your physical world. Your private areas is a door to your body. You have to leave that area closed only for the time of entry that has been designated by God. Otherwise, you get things inside of the outer courts that do not belong in the outer courts. And when the outer courts gets tarnished or tainted, they literally had to demolish it and start all over again. And this is why people find themselves in this place and they say, I just feel like I'm at rock bottom. I just feel like I haven't made any progress because your doors are open. So you're cleaning house and you're setting the altar and you're doing the sacrifice and you're doing these different things and you're putting it in place, but it's counterproductive because you have too many doors open. So your doors are open to gossip. Your doors are open to word curses. A word curse is anything that comes against the word and nature of God. So I know it doesn't sound like a curse, but if it comes against the word and nature of God, it's a word curse. And so if your doors to your life are open to those things, then you'll never get your out outer court in order. And so the outer court is a symbol of our body and how we relate to the physical world. Sometimes we um, visit and minister at other churches. And um, sometimes I used to get just like so irritated and I'm like, oh my God, Lord Jesus, this is terrible. I'm um, worship is awful. What are they doing in here? Oh my goodness. Um, like they need to just come over, close their church and come with our church. I mean, just like all kind of stuff, you know, just really, just really awful and judgmental. And then I realized God's like, well, since you spend so much time with me because you think you're so advanced in the spirit, why didn't you take me with you to the church? If you there, why is worship so dry? Their dryness shouldn't have to do with the access that you have to me. You're just getting distracted. And I'm like, dang, like that? I had to change my posture. 
Because why should it be dry if I'm there? I bring the water. I live with them. I talk with them regularly. So why, if it's so dry, why would I talk about how dry it is other than just pour out my worship and let the overflow of my belly, let the rivers of living water flow into that place where it's needed? We stand in worship and we judge how the worship team's doing. Well, if you know the way, you lead us. And I'm not even being smart. I, Alec, I'm, I'm being serious. So from the third row, if there's anything shady or weird going on here, from the third row, you begin to speak in your heavenly language. You begin to shift the atmosphere from your row. You begin to shift the atmosphere in your section. And then that will overflow to that section. And then maybe sometimes we could give them the strength and the water that they need to go on. And then they can declare to us and we declare to them. And then we cry holy and they cry holy. And then we play like it's heaven. Because you are not meant to look for somebody else to lead you in his presence. You are the tabernacle. You contain within you the outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. So when you stand up and you open your mouth, you are the tabernacle being established in the earth. But we take for granted what we carry. That is why you have to be careful with this body. In holiness, they had rules. Lanes of skirts and stuff like that. You see this skirt? You see my hand? You see this skirt past my hand? And guess what? I'm not going to hell if I wear a short skirt. But listen, listen. If this is where he lives, there are only certain looks or things that I want attracted to the house where he lives. This is not a matter of going to hell or not. This is a matter of how I want this house to look. I like HGTV. There's a show called Curb Appeal, okay? And so every house has a curb appeal. And there's a certain type of people and a certain type of thing that's attracted to a certain type of house. And I'm not saying that you're not a house, I'm not saying anything about your house. I'm just saying that when you drive down the street, there are certain houses that look appealing to live in, and there are other houses that do not look appealing to live in. So if you want to live a trashy life, you want to wear trashy clothes, everything like that, that's fine. I don't want to argue with you. I'm just trying to make sure that the house that he lives in, when people drive by, they feel like a king lives there. A king lives there. A king lives there. Because there are certain houses that when you drive by, you literally can tell that no Nobody even cares about that house. They act like they don't even care about their house. When you're looking in a neighborhood, ask 
scripturally, the rule is that usually when a house is uncared for or the yard is unkept, people assume that the people living there are renters. Because the assumption is that if you own the house, you take ownership of the house, then your house on the outside looks better than your neighbor. And so it has nothing to do with sin or going to hell. It has to do with, I want my house to look like a king lives here. And when I wake up, I represent the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I take care of my body and then I have an inner court which is my soul and I have to take care of my soul and the Bible indicates that the soul consists of our mind our intellect and our will and so when we look at these three parts of the soul the soul is centered in this mind this intellect what you know I say church people, um, you know, actually we're changing this. We are changing this declaration. We are changing this declaration. We are changing this declaration. But to the world, the church people seem like the most ignorant people. This is why people from other religions seek us out to argue with us. It is a conversation that they laugh about in their places of worship. They laugh about how much we don't know our Bible. They laugh about how stupid we sound when we misinterpret scriptures. They laugh at how uh, crazy we look when we say stuff and misquote stuff and put the wrong scriptures together. And it's not about being legalistic. It's about you taking care of your soul and it has to do with your mind and your intellect you have to be one that is studied in the word that is part of soul care if you do not work on studying the bible you are literally not taking care of your soul It is your mind and your intellect. If you refuse to read, then you are shrinking your mind and your intellect. And so you are not properly caring for your soul. The soul is the center of the emotions. You have to manage your emotions. When we live with offense, not only can others not be one, but we can't even be one ourselves. But we have ill-managed emotions. And then we go and we argue over stuff like church hurt. And we go and we argue over what minister and pastors did to us. You are not properly managing your emotions. I am not saying that nothing happened to you. I'm just saying manage it. Because what exactly is the testimony of Jesus that you are trying to communicate that we are his body and we can have a conversation and we cannot grow together and become better together? What exactly are you trying to communicate when you blare and air dirty laundry that you refuse to even put your hands on and wash if you're not willing to pick up the dirty drawers off the floor and wash them yourself then you don't get to air out dirty drawers so you don't put dirty drawers out there in the street if you're not willing to pick them up and wash them I'm sick of people posting and I'm sick of people saying about what's going wrong with the church then fix it
You got the juice, you do it. You got the counsel, you do it. You got the prayer, you pray. You got the revelation, you give it. But we have allowed people to rule with their emotions. People are far from Christ because you got emotional. Because the truth of it is that you probably have enough revelation that eventually you're going to get hold of your emotions. But everybody else that saw your throw up of emotions, they got splashed with it. And the fact is they don't have the revelation to ever come back. And you just cost them their soul. Because you couldn't grab a hold of your emotions. The soul is the center of the wheel. Everything that was in that holy place, that center section right there, everything that was in that holy place, it had to be actively done. Because remember, that's where you had the, uh, the power of the testimony. That's where you had the showbread. Like, this stuff is not going to come easy. That fellowship that we were talking about, that power of your testimony that we were talking about, that sacrifice, not the first um, altar, but the second altar with the incense of sacrifice, none of this stuff will come without active will. You have to have active will. This is your soul, the seat of your mind, your emotions, your will, your intellect. This is where those things are. And it takes work. You had to be active. Nobody took people and dragged them from the outer court to the inner court. They had to make a decision to go from court to court. They had to make a decision to go through what it took to become a priest to be in that space. Just because you've been given the gift of being the tabernacle does not mean that you have been given that gift without responsibility and without active will. He is not going to download the Bible into you when you go to sleep you are going to have to work at it and for everything that you do not understand he will meet you with revelation but you have to work he doesn't have anything to work with if you refuse to read your bible and simply learn it start reciting scriptures even when you don't know what they mean Just recite the scripture, find out what the address is and declare it exactly how it is. He will give you revelation, but they had to go in the court in order to meet him. That last part, and we're pulling on the imagery of the tabernacle to look at our body and our self as the tabernacle is the holy of holies. And this is a symbol of our spirit and how we relate to the spiritual world. Some of us think we are so deep. Like you think you are so deep. You're not even in the outer court. You haven't even taken care of your body. You haven't even taken care of how you interact with the physical world. The last time you made a sacrifice was a different season. I mean on the calendar season. I mean months ago. I mean decades ago. 
your sacrifices back there in the 80s and the 90s. And you think you're so deep. You think you're living in the holies of holies. But you don't even have word to fight with for an acceptable prayer. And this is not to down anybody, but it's to challenge you. It's to let you know that God has more for us. God has greater for us. And everywhere that you are, you should be bringing the presence of the Lord. And everywhere that you leave, that fragrance should be undeniable. It should be undeniable that somebody that encases, that houses God and everything that he is, somebody was here who encapsulate the risen king. Somebody was here where the king of kings and the Lord of lords lives inside of them. You should call people. You should talk to people. They should hear you speak and they should hear that revelation knowledge that comes out of you. There should be something about your life that's distinct and they say, wait a minute, a king lives there. Wait a minute, a king lives there. Wait a minute, a king lives there. I can tell by their curb appeal that a king lives there. I can tell by their sacrifice that a king lives there. I can tell by their worship that a king lives there. I can tell by their testimony that a king lives there. I can tell by the fellowship that they have that a king lives there. I can tell by the table that's being set before them that a king lives there and there's kings living in the earth. And because of that, because of that, then we refuse to live beneath what we've been given. I refuse to live like a tabernacle, but not have the benefits of being the tabernacle. I refuse to waste this body. I refuse to waste this soul. I refuse to waste this spirit. I count it an honor and a privilege to be the tabernacle of the Holy Ghost. I count it an honor and a privilege to be the tabernacle of what he's doing. The outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies resides inside of me. And because of that, I meet his sacrifice with a sacrifice. And because of that, I meet his testimony with my testimony. Jesus. We have become so obsessed with going up. We want to go up the corporate ladder. We want to go up the social ladder. We even want to go up the church ladder. But we've been so concerned with going up that we can't even go in. We just want to go up, but we can't go in. We want to go up, but we can't go in. God is calling us to be a people that can go in and stay in. The entire concept of the meetup is this idea that there's a meeting that is waiting for you. There's a meeting that has collided. There's a meeting and you are that meetup. You are where these worlds collide to understand the power of the presence of God, to understand that how you are formed and fashioned is after the very presence of God. Not only do we need the presence of God, but I plan to apply the presence of God. And so we don't have to walk around like dry people. We don't have to walk around with our heads hung down. I don't have to walk around in sorrow and sullenness and depression because I am the tabernacle.
God, we bless your name. God, we are so grateful. God, we are so grateful for what you've done in us. God, we are so grateful for what you called us to. God, we are so grateful for giving us this honor to carry your spirit and to carry your body. And so we worship you. We adore you. We give you the sacrifice of worship. take your glory for granted we don't take your glory for granted we don't sing Shekinah and then not recognize Shekinah lift up your hands in this place Jesus come on tabernacle come on meeting place Come on, outer courts, give them your sacrifice. Come on and let them wash your sins. Come on, inner court, let your testimony rise. Come on and let the power of God be displayed. Come on and declare back his word to him. You are marvelous. You are deliverer. You are Abba. Come on and let his words go up to him like a sweet smelling sacrifice. Come on, inner court. Don't stay out there with everybody else. Come on into the inner court. Don't stay out there where everybody has access. Come on into the inner court. bless your name we declare that you are God and God alone you are holy we worship you we put our we feel aside we put our we feel aside we don't stay close to the entry with one foot out and one foot in but we go deeper we go deeper as you usher us in usher us Holy Spirit Usher us, Holy Spirit, take us in. 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 Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. 